Let's ask the Lord for his blessing this hour as we prepare to look at his word. Lord God, we come before you again and ask as we do, week in and week out, for the blessing of sight to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive your word, for me to communicate it by the power of your spirit, that you, Lord, would indeed sanctify your people in the truth as your word is the truth. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome, if you're with us today visiting. Working our way through Mark's gospel, and his intention is to show his readers that Jesus of Nazareth is the royal anointed one. That Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God's very own Son. Um, his gospel is designed to show us who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, and what Jesus has done. And why people everywhere must entrust themselves to Him. Why people must turn and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that eternal damnation is the only alternative. That he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And friends, we cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. God's ultimate disclosure came. When the word became flesh. That is when Jesus became a man. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word tabernacled among us. The word, the, the word of God pitched a tent of flesh on earth. He took on a human body. He was in the beginning. He was with God. He is God. He became flesh. That is the enfleshing of God. The Word did not turn into flesh. The Word did not turn into flesh. That is, Jesus didn't come and take on flesh and cease being God. He was fully God, and He is fully man. He he didn't merely appear as flesh and, and seem to be a man. He was fully man. All the while, fully God. He left heaven, he took on flesh, and he came to rescue a people for himself. All those that were given to him by the Father, he came to save. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I came that they may have life and have it, what, beloved? Abundantly. Without me, Jesus declares... You're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, some some say today, as they've always said, I don't need a shepherd. You know, I'm kind of a black sheep, just kind of done things always my own way. I'm self-determined. I'm self-ruled. You know, I'm I'm a free thinker. I'm my own shepherd. I hold the reins to my life. 
That, Jesus says, is very dangerous. It is inevitably destructive and, as a matter of fact, will be inescapably fatal. Why follow Jesus? Well, that is what Mark is determined to convince his readers of. Why should we follow Jesus? And quite simply, beloved, it is because he is the very provision of our souls. He provides all that we need, not only physically, not only materially, but for our very inner being. That is, friends, for our eternality. He's the only one that provides what we need eternally to be secure with God. This passage teaches us much more than a mere feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children. We're going to see it unfold. This passage is the only miracle other than the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that's recorded in all four Gospels. This, the feeding of the 5,000. It's very unique. It's a very powerful contribution to Mark's overall message, seeing why we must turn to Jesus, why we need Jesus, why he's the only shepherd of the soul. To come to Jesus, friends, is to come to God. You don't come to God unless you come to Jesus. This is what we see. He's the ultimate expression and fulfillment of who the shepherd is, the great shepherd. Now, notice when we read here, uh, when it grew late, the disciples said, Lord, send them away. And he says, no. He says, no. Because he's about to do something that, that will communicate to them who he is. Remember, he's pulling back the veil more and more as to who he is. He's veiled in humanity. This is deity veiled in humanity. And even his 12 disciples at this point in time do not see with absolute clarity. This is his mercy. This is his grace. He's revealing himself over time in a way that they will will embrace and understand and go to carry on his ministry to their very own death. So this temporal care, this provisional feeding um, out in this desolate place um, is designed to speak of a far greater provision, a far greater compassion, a far greater care of the shepherd than merely meat eating um, bread and fish. So let's work our way through the text. And see what's here before us. So here we see the great shepherd. He provides rest, number one. Instruction, number two. And nourishment, number three. Rest, instruction, and nourishment. The the outline, very simple. We see the setting in verses 30 to 34. We see the miracle in verses 35 to 44. And then we're going to wrap everything up with implications of this remarkable miracle For us, 2,000 years later. So notice the setting, verse 30. We we hear the report. The apostles, notice, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. The 12, they returned from their mission. 
Uh, remember back in verse 7, take a look at that. Um, they, he sent them out two by two to the surrounding villages and towns of Galilee. And in verses 12 and 13, we read that they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out demons. Jesus gave them power. He delegated to them uh, power to cast out demons authoritatively. And they healed many. Now, this evangelistic tour probably would have taken weeks. It doesn't tell us exactly how long they were out doing this. Some speculate that it took months. I think it's more realistic that it took weeks. Uh, But whatever it was, however long it was, we're not told. Uh, But we can imagine when these six teams of two um, reassembled, uh, they, they were very excited um, they're probably back at Peter's home. That is in Capernaum. That, that was Jesus' home base for ministry. So here they are. They're amazed. They're excited. And they're eager to report to Jesus all that has taken place, as well as eager to hear what has taken place amongst their brothers. Here they are. And when they regather, here again, we, we see this, this unstoppable stream of lingering people. Now, we've seen this before. Back in chapter 3, verse 20, we, we, we studied there that the crowds were gathered and they were so great that they could not even eat. So here you have all kinds of people trying to get at them. Here they are. They're, they're there every minute and it's making eating and resting impossible. Now, that, that, that tells us that their ministry has had a great impact. And they come back home. Word is out. They know they're back home, so these people press in again. And Jesus, notice in verses 31 to 34, he he calls for and he leads them away to rest. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. I'm going to take you, I'm going to lead you to a desolate place for rest. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Here it is again. So notice, Jesus, he encourages a sabbatical. Rest. Which, by the way, beloved, he wove into the created order. Who established the Sabbath? He did. And here, the the Lord of the Sabbath encouraged his disciples in this way. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here, he, he calls for rest. Sabbath means to cease. It means to stop. So he, he's gonna, he calls them away after this great season of ministry to rest. And you know, friends, it's good to rest so as to be restored. Amen? It's good to rest so as to be restored, to be refreshed, to be re-strengthened. So here, um, this needed rest it isn't solely for the purpose of relaxation. That's how we often see rest is just to relax. Relax is good. This is rest for the sake of restoration so as to do more work for the glory of God, for the kingdom. You know, it's a good idea. You know, this age we live in, you know, it's really a good idea, beloved, to turn off your phones now and again and your computers and your Facebook and your Instagram and rest and listen to the shepherd. Amen? And by the way, we're not sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for your next Facebook post or Instagram post. 
The world isn't on edge waiting for you to post your next thing. Amen? Relax. Relax. Rest. Feed your soul. Jesus takes them away to rest, to restore them. So they can do more work for the kingdom. He's the king. He leads. So notice verse 32. They press in. They can't eat. Jesus says, I'm going to take you away. Verse 32. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place. Notice it's referred to as the boat. Fifteen times referred to as the boat in the gospel of Mark. So it's likely that the boat belonged to one of the fishermen. We know there were at least four fishermen out of the 12, could have been upward to seven out of the 12 that were fishermen in Galilee. So it's probably one of their boats that became the boat, a boat designated for their use. So they went into the boat and they headed to this desolate place by themselves. So they're up in Capernaum. That's the northwestern point, the upper northwestern point. And Luke tells us that, they're, that they went to Bethsaida, which was the northeastern point of Galilee. This would be a, a four-mile journey in boat and eight miles on foot. So here they are. They set off. They're making their way to Bethsaida. Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they beat them there. They got there before them. Now, the Sea of Galilee, if you haven't been there, it's a big lake, but it's not that big. It's not like the Great Lakes. You, you can see across it. So on a clear blue day, you'd be able to see the boat. Perhaps it was that recognizable sail of Jesus and his 12. Ah, oh, we know that sail. And if you look hard enough, if, if your sight was good, you perhaps could even see the figures, depending on where you were. That, oh, it's Jesus in the 12. So they take off. And notice a multitude is following along the shoreline. So this is the northern shoreline of, of, of the Sea of Galilee. And they take off from, from this point and they're going to go to this point. So they're going to take a shot from here to here. And the people are following on the land, eight-mile trip on foot. And they're able to keep tabs on the boat. And they beat him there. Verse 34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. This is a very deliberate word. This, this word is used eight times in the New Testament. And in every instance, it, is, it refers in some way or another to Jesus. It's an intestinal response. It is a deep movement, down deep. It's that feeling you get in the bowels. It's a gut feeling. Compassion. He's impacted to the core of his being when he sees all these people who appear as scattered sheep without a shepherd. So he's deeply moved. That's the picture. And you know, in light of the revelation of Scripture, this is very significant because God is the shepherd who cares for his sheep. We read it this morning. He seeks out his lost sheep. 
He pursues them. He cares for them. He gathers them. He provides for them. Maybe you're asking this morning, perhaps you came in here this morning, does he care for me? Does he have compassion for me? What about my family? Does he care about my children? Does he care about my health? Does he care about my financial situation? Does he care about what keeps me up at night, restless, sleepless? Does he care? Mark is saying, look, something in the soul of Jesus wells up from deep down within, and it's called compassion. He has compassion for his sheep. You his sheep? Are you his sheep? Then he has compassion for you. Now, as a compassionate shepherd, what do you suppose his compassion would lead him to do when he sees all these people as a scattered flock? Well, many in our day would think that this would be an emotional moment. It would be a good time for a, a group hug. That's what they think in our day. Or perhaps it's a time where we all break off and, and we start to, to, to paint a picture as to how we're feeling inside, right? After all, it's all this emotional stuff, how I feel, not Jesus. As a compassionate shepherd, he sees them, that they appear as a people without a shepherd. He has this deep feeling, this deep sense of compassion within, and what's he do? He teaches them. And he began to teach them many things. So not only does Jesus lead his disciples to rest, he is the great shepherd now provides instruction. That's what it is to feed the sheep. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restores him. Where grace is abundant, Where, where grace abounds, failure is never final. Such is the case with Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? Remember the last night, or remember um, the night before um, I was crucified? You said, Lord, if all of these forsake you, I never will. Remember that? You said you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. Then feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter, a third time? Lord, you know all things. Then feed and tend to my sheep. Amen? Did he? Yes, he did. So Jesus teaches. This is what he came to do. Back in chapter 1, verse 38, he said, let us move out to the other villages and towns for... The sake of me, what? Hugging people? No, to preach. Let's go, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So having compassion, he sees them, he sees their need, and he preaches. This is what they need. They need truth, without which there's no understanding of eternal life. Compassionate, so he preaches. Mark says in verse 35, it grew late. What's that tell us? This was no 20-minute homily. 
right? No sermonette for Christianettes, as they say. He went until it grew late. So the main need that Jesus sees is, is not physical hunger. That's, that's not the main need. The main need was the need of their soul. The very sanctifying truth of God. His word. So he teaches, he preaches, he expounds to them the word of God. And notice he teaches and instructs many things. How would you like to hear that message? Many things. So he, he, he no doubt does hear in, in embryonic form what he will do on that day with those two very discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus. We read Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses. And all the prophets, he interpreted to them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He likely gave them an Old Testament overview. He's preaching himself. He's the fulfillment of scripture, the promised one. God's ultimate prophet, priest, and king, he likely said that day, is here, it's me. You know the one Isaiah prophesied? The one who will bear the sins of the people? The one who himself will be led away as a lamb to the slaughter and open not his mouth? That's me. So I will. So I will. He teaches them the very wisdom of God. For those who have ears. Does everyone have ears? No, not everyone has ears to hear. Not everyone likely has ears to hear this morning question is, do you have ears to hear? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, Christ became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's our all in all. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So our, our greatest need today is the preaching and teaching of God's word, beloved. It's no different this is what we need. You know, the world says that's the last thing people need. That's the last thing people need to hear is a bunch of preaching. And unfortunately, many people in the professing church today think the same thing. They might not say it verbally, but that's how they respond. Jesus says it's the fundamental thing. As a compassionate shepherd, he teaches and he preaches. My sheep, he said, hear my voice. I know them, and what do they do? They follow me. My Father has given them to me. In the great high priestly prayer, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays, Father, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you've given me from out of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, as sheep without a shepherd, this is how Jesus shows compassion. He teaches many things. Many things. Now, in an agricultural environment, which, which this was, sheep were a very common part of life. Amen? Do we know this? Very common part of life. And without a shepherd, sheep die. They can't feed themselves, they can't lead themselves, they can't protect themselves, they have to be cared for. Someone has to lead them, guard them, guide them, corral them, lead them to water, or they die. They can't even turn themselves over. 
See, Jesus' teaching feeds and leads, guides, guards, directs, and protects. He's the great shepherd who has compassion for his sheep. And all of his under-shepherds are to do the exact same thing, to feed God's people God's word. Now, Israel's religious leaders are absent. Israel's religious leaders in this day are more interested in their own power, in their own prestige, and they have no care for God's flock. They'd rather eat the sheep than feed the sheep. They devour the sheep. They don't care for the sheep. Jesus referred to them as hirelings. They're hirelings. They care not for the sheep. So if you don't care for the sheep, you don't teach the sheep. We read from Ezekiel. What did they do? They told the people what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. They'll die like that. So it grew late. Jesus goes on and on. Remember when Paul preached all night and the kid falls out of the window and dies? That's a long sermon. (laughs) These aren't long. That was long. He preached all night. So he goes on and on. Notice verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? So it's late. Jesus has been teaching for some time. The disciples are growing impatient. There's a bit of an edge to what they say here, beloved. They're getting short. They're getting impatient with the very patient one. Can you imagine this? You don't have to imagine too far because you and I do the same thing. We get impatient with our great shepherd, and we start yakking. They're yakking. They're thinking, someone has to think about practical practical matters. Obviously, Jesus has lost track of time. So they address him. Lord, this is a desolate place. As though they're informing Jesus of something. Where where did he say he's going to take them? (laughs) To a desolate place. I'm going to take you to a desolate place to rest. Well, the only rest they had was the trip on the boat. This is Lord... It's getting late. This is a desolate place. And then imagine they're surprised when he says, you give them something to eat. Lord, a denarii is a day's wage. 200 days wages will not pay for food to feed 5,000 men. And then Matthew adds that there were also women and children. So who knows how many that were there? What, 10,000, 15,000, 8,000, 5,000 men. So notice Jesus confronts them with something absolutely beyond human ability. That's the point. Verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So they start rifling through the crowd. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Now, we learned that this was a little boy who had a little lunch, and this is what he had in the lunch. So he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and, and said a blessing. He broke the loaves, gave, gave them to the disciples, set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate, and they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, what does this remind us of, beloved? The Old Testament, Israel in the wilderness where he seats the people according to the 12 tribes, 50s, 100s, and so on. So this is a desolate place. We see that word used three times in this account. And that is the same word used for desert. That's the same word used for wilderness. So these people, for these people who are steeped in the Old Testament, this is powerful and inescapable imagery. Jesus is very special. This is Israel's faithful Messiah who will care for his people just as the prophets predicted. So anyone who had any sense of the truth would have recognized Jesus for who he is and hear what he is doing. So the, 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 the scene is centered on a fellowship meal. Okay, Jesus is at the center. He's providing for his people. Notice he sits them down in groups on the what kind of grass? Green grass. What does that remind you of? Psalm 23 that we read from this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Here he is. So these are five loaves. These aren't the loaves you go over to this. What's that place we go to to get that loaf of bread? Budin, Budins or whatever. We get a free loaf of bread all the time because we eat there. So we get this loaf of bread like this long. It's all sliced up. You want that slice? Sure, it's all sliced up. The thing's about two and a half feet long. It's not a loaf like that. This is a loaf of a little cake. It's a little disc. So it's a little cake loaf. Okay, and there's five of them. And there's two little fish would have been more like a pickled fish, more like a sardine than those large fish that Jesus told the disciples. Remember, throw the net on the other side and they caught 153 large fish. These aren't the large fish. The common thing that you would take with you are more like a sardine and then you take the pickled fish and you put it on the bread and you have a little sandwich. So there's five of those, two of the fish. He gathers them together and through his hands, the creator of the universe multiplies the bread and the fish. And they all ate and they were all what? Full. This is Thanksgiving full. This is Thanksgiving satisfied. This is Thanksgiving um, uh, unloosen the belt on your little gown and you say, I ate too much. They're satisfied. It's amazing. This is the, extra- the extravagance of Jesus' provision. They all eat. They're all abundant provision. And then there's 12 baskets of leftovers. Hmm. Why? Because there's 12 servants there disciples and they need to eat and jesus already promised he would take them and give them rest so they were tired they were hungry they didn't have time to eat where they were in capernaum it says they couldn't even eat so here they are eating there's 12 baskets of leftovers for the 12 disciples provision abundant supply now the lord may call us to to do difficult things beloved amen In ministry, difficult things, challenging things. We're called to step out by faith, to trust in the one who provides. 
And sometimes we're almost at the end of the road. We think this is a dead end. Did God call you to do this? this did, did he call you according to Scripture to do this? Yes, this I know to be true. Then, then trust he will provide. Amen? He will provide. He'll provide. Providentially, most likely, sometimes supernaturally, but, but mostly providentially. It could be through the hands of your brother, through the hands of your sister. He calls us to do something. We're faithful. He will provide. But I've given all that I have. He will provide. Word. Now, there's many connections being made here, beloved, that we don't want to miss. In order to demonstrate that God is the one who cares for his people, not only here, not only now, but he has been caring for his people from throughout the ages. Do we not see this as we read the Bible cover to cover? Israel in the desert. Israel in that desolate place. Moses said, Lord, Yahweh, how am I going to feed all these people? The Lord replies, you're not. I am. In Exodus 16, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Now, Jesus just fed 5,000 plus women and children. The next day, many of these same people are, are going to seek after him. And Jesus is going to confront them. And he's going to say, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs and what? Believe, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Okay, we see that recorded in John 6. And notice, this is what he says, John 6, 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then jump down to verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's the great shepherd. The provision, we, we need provision for the soul. He's the bread of life. Now, this is a very significant event as regards the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, beloved, he cares for the physical needs of his people. Yes, he cares for the physical needs of these sheep on this day. Notice he also, he also involves his people in the ministry. The 12, they're involved in what he's doing. So he provides, he enables his servants, he empowers his servants, and Jesus is going to go on. He's going to provide for another 4,000 people in an entirely different situation. He's going to provide the same thing. He's going to provide for those disciples when they're all confused and they go back to fishing and they fish all night and someone's on the shoreline and he says, little children, have you caught anything? No, we haven't. We've been up all night. Throw the net on the other side. And that's the catch of the 153 large fish. And right away, Peter recognizes not Jesus physically, but he recognizes his what? His voice. And he swims to the shore. And Jesus makes them breakfast. And that's when he asks them, Peter, do you love me? He provides. Now, 
couple decades later, Mark, who writes this, he pens this to, to an a audience in Rome, and he provides insight that those who were in attendance on this day would not have been able to connect or recognize. But he provides it here, and the key is verse 41, okay? Notice. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Notice four verbs. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Fast forward to the night of his crucifixion. Mark chapter 14. They're in the upper room. And as they were eating, he took bread. After blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to them, said, take, this is my body. In the same order, he took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. And then he said, take, this is my body. Take the bread, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will, don't miss this, truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That is the consummated kingdom. That is the new heaven and in, in the new earth. So this meal, that night, upper room, upper room, he's saying this, this meal is a foretaste of a future banquet that I will host. I will host that. Prophet the, the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet described that banquet long ago. Look at Isaiah 25. There it is. Verse 6. Notice every time I put these up, you, it's, it's like the groups here always, they beat Jesus to the place. I can't get there fast enough, and you always beat me to the text. So here he is. Verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Jesus, on the night before his death, beloved, was saying, this meal is a foretaste of that meal. This is that. Which, by the way, is what we anticipate every time we partake of the Lord's table, beloved. Every time we partake of the Lord's table, we commemorate that which Christ has done. We celebrate what Christ has done. We participate in what Christ has done. And we anticipate that. The marriage supper of the Lamb. So back to Mark 6. Mark 6 
is showing us that this feeding is connected to that. This feeding in Mark 6 is connected to what we just read. This, this, Jesus is saying, is a little sampling of my great care. This is a little sampling of my great compassion. Notice, Jesus, he creates the gathering. He creates the gathering. He assembles everyone together, and he provides everything by his hands. This is the work of the Lord. This is the shepherd of the sheep. He arranges the banquet, and he's at the center of it. He is the focus. He is the bread of life. The shepherd of his sheep, the prince of peace, the king of the kingdom, the kingdom that has no end. He provides. Let me close with this. The moment Jesus came into Galilee, he preached the gospel. Amen? He preached. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he said that in a variety of ways. He said, you need to come to me. You need to follow me. You need to trust me. You need to believe in me. A couple decades later, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark pens this gospel. What's his message? Repent and believe. Come to Christ. And he's writing to an entirely different group of people. Here you have Galileans. Paul, uh, Mark writes from Rome. He addresses a Gentile people. His intention is to call all of his readers, all of his hearers, to turn to Jesus, the great shepherd of the soul. That you need him or you will perish. 2,000 years later, beloved, I stand here along with many who, who seek to faithfully preach the same message. It hasn't changed. He's the great shepherd. You must feed on him. Calling everyone who has ears to hear to repent and believe, to turn and trust in this, the great shepherd sent by God. Jesus the Christ, son of the living God. For whoever, Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will what? Will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a call. This call to lay down your life is to lay down your self-determination. To lay down the reins of your life. You don't have control. You think you have control. You don't have control. To lay down the reins. To lay down your self-rule and your self-trust. And follow him. He's the provision. He is compassion. He is the one who cares. He, He gives life that has an eternal significance, you must trust him. He's the perfect shepherd. He's the only one who saves. If you don't know him, if you're playing with him, you must turn to him. Lay down your life and you will be saved. You will perish. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You will die. What do we say? What shall we say? What should we say? This. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what we shall say. That's what we must say. So, allow his word to do his work. Allow his word this morning to do his work. I want you to ponder that. Perhaps he's calling you to trust in Christ. Perhaps you're being called to trust in Christ for the first time. Ponder that. Perhaps as a believer, he's calling you to trust him as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because perhaps you've been trusting something else or someone else. So let us quietly ponder these things. Let's pray quietly. Perhaps there's someone you want to pray for who doesn't know the great shepherd. So let's do that. And I'll invite Rob to come up here, wherever you are, and lead us in a song once we have pondered this. Let's pray. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your soul.